In every relationship, there comes a point when we need to extract ourselves. We don't fit with the other person anymore, so we need to sever ties. We don't want what they have to offer, so we have to tell them no. Or we can't stomach the details of what should be a private matter, so we need to stop the conversation before we toss our cookies. How do we establish those boundaries without damaging the relationship? Welcome to episode three of How Can I Say This, where we talk about how to find the right words when words escape us. I'm your host, Beth Bilo, and I am grateful you've joined me. Today, we'll be looking at some listener questions that all boil down to a common concern, how to remove ourselves from challenging situations without coming across like a jerk. But first, this. It's only episode three, and I already want to share a poem with you. Please don't touch that dial. Keep listening. I promise this will be painless. I'm a budding bad poet, and my mediocrity is offset, I hope, with good intentions. I wrote this short poem in response to a prompt that I provided to my writers group, which was, start a piece with the words, how can I say this? When I shared it with a colleague, he kind of dared me to include it in the podcast. So um, this one's for him. And it's titled, Write. How can I say this without crying or whining or fighting? You mean so much. We know so much about each other. It's scary. It's not about what other people think or whether we can take it back. We can live with the fallout. It doesn't have to kill us. How can I say this without blaming or shaming or proclaiming? I was right. That couch you picked out is the ugliest damn thing on God's green earth. (laughs) Thank you for indulging me. This is an example of a great wind-up. We avoided the blame game. We acknowledged the relationship. We put the situation into perspective. And then we made a horrible pitch. The punchline reflects what we want to say, but won't say, because we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. Maybe a better pitch would be, is it still within the return window so that we can get a refund? I'm just kidding. But seriously, here's what might be better to say in this kind of situation. I understand you love this couch, and I'm not as in love with it. Maybe there's someplace else we can put it where you can enjoy it. Then we can look at something different together for the living room. What do you think? That might still raise the other person's hackles, but it's more diplomatic and less disparaging of someone else's taste in furniture. And next time, make sure you do the picking out of major purchases together. Now on to listener questions. We have three very different questions to explore, but you'll hear some common themes. As you listen, you might think, I don't have clients, so that doesn't apply to me, or otherwise think that the scenario that's presented isn't germane to you. In that case, I'd invite you to listen again. Underneath each of our specific circumstances are universal experiences. Part of the art of moving through challenging situations and knowing what to say and how to say it is digging a bit to find the root of what's actually happening. If you remove the details and strip the question down to its essence, there's almost always something to learn from it, whether you've experienced those specific details or not. Another quick point. When trying to provide a response, I have to acknowledge that my comments are limited by only having been provided with one perspective of the situation. Ideally, I'd know all sides of the story. 
but that's a limitation I accepted when I adopted this podcast format. So I start things out with the caveat that while I offer suggested responses, they are always to be considered as just that, suggestions, based on limited information. Oh, and whenever someone has submitted a question and indicated that they want to be anonymous, I'm going to refer to that person with they, them, their pronouns. I have to admit, it drives the old school grammatical stickler in me a bit crazy to do that, but it's an extra layer of anonymity that I want to offer the person who's making the inquiry. And in reality, it's becoming a more acceptable way to make a gender neutral reference. One of the areas this podcast will inevitably explore is the evolution of language and how we communicate when the rules are changing. That point is one of many that I am excited to talk about in future episodes. So with that said, let's get to our first question. This one comes from an anonymous listener. They write, Fortunately, this doesn't happen often, but sometimes I work with a client and it does not go well for me. The project turns out fine, the client is happy, the bills are paid, but I don't want to continue the relationship. Usually it is a personality or work style issue, one that I tried to fix without success. How do I tactfully and gracefully exit a client relationship when it's not a good fit, especially if the client doesn't feel the same way and we have completed a successful project? Here's what I appreciate about this question. The person who submitted the inquiry is clearly coming from a place of abundance and authority, honoring what they need, knowing what they don't want, while still being gracious to their client. We can so often come from scarcity, accepting or tolerating relationships that don't fit just because we're afraid of losing income or having a potentially ugly disagreement. And many of us have been in this position in one way or another. We have a client or a friend or a colleague with whom we have an agreeable relationship, but it's seen as more valuable or important to one person than to the other. If you're the person in the position of this inquiry, you might be wanting to put that relationship at arm's length or sever it altogether without burning a bridge or even feeling gross about it. Now, speaking to the question specifically, the suggestions I'm about to make are just that, suggestions. And my language is the way I might say it, and this is probably obvious, but I recommend that you alter the tone and the words to fit your communication style. As with anything I offer in this episode and in future episodes, take, leave, or adapt what I'm about to share as you see fit. So here I'm talking to the questioner. You mentioned that you've completed the project, which puts you at an advantage. A few things to consider. When the work is finished, do you do a project debrief with your client to discuss what went well, answer lingering questions, or tie up loose ends? If so, that's a perfect place to discuss next steps and where the relationship goes from there. If you don't, it's something to think about doing. Having some type of completion conversation would give you space to either renew an agreement, create a new one, or bring closure to the partnership. Here are a few ideas on how to frame the situation for your client based on different scenarios. You can use these in the context of an official completion conversation or any time you feel it's right to bring the relationship to a close. With all of that said, if your agreement is project-based, then you can more easily extract yourself by being direct that you feel that your work is done and offering them next step resources. This would help preserve the relationship and pass the baton to another service provider that might be a better fit. 
you might say this, I'm so glad you're pleased with the outcomes of this project. At this point, you've got a good foundation to keep moving forward, and I feel our work together is complete, and other people with different expertise would be useful to you at this point. If you ever need referrals for other work, just let me know. If your client has you on retainer with the expectation that work will continue until there is no more work, you could say something like, I've really appreciated the opportunity to work with you on this. Moving forward, I feel you would benefit from a fresh perspective on, and here you would say whatever it is that you're working on, and would love to refer you to some colleagues who would be great at supporting you with it. And I have to say at this point, kudos to you for trying to address the sticky situation during the course of the partnership. That's going to work in your favor when it comes time to have this conversation. You've set yourself up to take a chance and be tactful yet direct. The following suggestion is assuming that the client expects the work to continue after the project is completed. You might say, I have appreciated the opportunity to work with you, and I'm not seeing a way to move forward based on some of the challenges that I've had with and you name the challenge, of our partnership. I'm not able to do my best work in those circumstances, and it would be a disservice to both of us if we kept working together. You need someone who can adapt to your style or your needs more than I feel I can. If you want any referrals for future work, I'm happy to provide those to you. And yes, this is shouldering more responsibility than you might feel for whatever isn't working. Unless the client is doing something that's objectively unprofessional, such that you wouldn't want to share referrals, such as not responding to communication, not paying invoices, or being abusive in some way, it's probably not worth it to name the specific reasons. That said, if you have tried to address it directly and their behavior didn't change, then it's appropriate to mention it. You might say, Remember when we talked about how important it was that you respond to my emails within 24 hours so that we could keep things moving along? Even after that discussion, nothing changed, and that compromised the level of service that I could provide you. I'm not sure that things would improve if we keep working together. The bottom line is to show appreciation and acknowledge whatever successes you've had together. State clearly that you feel the partnership has reached its end and offer ways to support the client in their next steps through a referral or other resources. Unless you're willing to follow through, don't suggest that if they fix whatever the challenge was that you'll continue working with them. Either say, in order for us to continue, we need to set some new agreements about how we work together, or our work here is done. Don't invent reasons why you don't want to continue the partnership. Be as honest as possible and only share your reasons if they are in service to the client. Keep the focus on what's best for the client, even if you know your decision is mostly in your best interests. It doesn't do any harm to offer that you're doing this because you want them to succeed. Because at the end of the day, that's the truth. Our next question comes from Cherie, who asks, How do you say your help is not helpful without sounding like an ungrateful jerk? All those who have wondered about this, raise your hand. If I could see you now, I'm guessing you'd all have your hands high in the air. For many of us, it's in our nature to reach out and help others, whether or not they've asked for it. What we don't realize is that our help isn't always what's needed by the other person. I'm thinking of the times when my husband has come home after a stressful day and starts telling me about a difficult interaction or something that's disappointed him. My impulse is to help 
by giving advice to jump in and start problem solving for, uh, I mean, actually with, right, him. And he might appreciate it, or he might just wish that I would shut up. My intention is good, but the idea that he needs my help is a huge assumption on my part. Here's what we've learned to say when one of us is offering help that's not helpful. I'll cast myself in the one who's offering unsolicited help. He might come home and say, I had a really weird exchange with John, and I'm not sure what to do about it. He then shares more of the story, and my fix-it instinct kicks in and wants to save the day. I start to offer solutions, and he stops me by saying, I'm just talking this through right now and really need to let off some steam. It'd be most helpful to me if you would just listen. By now, we've learned to preempt the need for that by either saying, Is it okay if I talk this out right now? I just need for you to listen, if we're the person venting, or if we're the person listening. Oh wait, I'm trying to fix this for you, and I don't know if that's what you want. What do you need most from me? In most cases, it's a simple matter of saying, Thanks for your help, and what I need most right now is... And then you fill in the blank. You might need them to listen, to leave you alone for a while, to tell you if you're crazy, and of course, you're not, or to brainstorm. Some people don't understand that listening is helping, that sometimes saying or doing nothing and letting you work through whatever it is, is actually helping. There may be times when the person is insisting on helping in some way that feels like they're trying to rescue you. They want to be the hero in your story. There's an expression that we use in coaching that describes how we see our clients. And that expression is whole, capable, and resourceful. And some people will add the word creative. That's how we want others to treat us as whole, capable, and resourceful. We aren't broken. We don't need to be fixed or rescued. We have ample capacity and we are creative and can use that creativity to find solutions to our challenges. Having this attitude does not come naturally, as most of us have at least a little bit of that superhero, save-the-day impulse, especially when it comes to people we care about. But you can teach others how to treat you by expressing gratitude for their good intention while expressing your desire to figure things out for yourself. When you find yourself in a situation when you are receiving unsolicited advice or help, check in with yourself. What is the intention of the other person? What part of what they're doing is actually helpful? What can you acknowledge or feel grateful for about the other person? And what do you need that you're not getting? By stating what you appreciate and recognize in the other person's good intentions, you can avoid sounding like that ungrateful jerk when you pair that recognition with, and what I need most right now is whatever it is. I'll provide you a link to the article that I wrote on the whole capable and resourceful concept so that you can learn more about how to put it into action in your life. Once you see yourself that way, you can more easily and gracefully communicate that to others with the happy result of less frequent help that's really not helpful. Our final listener question was also submitted by an anonymous listener who asks, Hearing the details of someone's illness, injury, surgery, or diagnostic tests very often makes me feel faint. What is a kind way to stop the person from telling me about it? I am not a medical professional. 
All I can say is, I feel your pain. <laughs> As I've gotten older, I find myself in more conversations about someone's physical health, often focusing on a procedure or illness. It's sometimes, and if I'm really honest, almost always, challenging to listen to details about someone's bowel movements or surgery prep or icky reaction to certain foods. The listener's question has me thinking about why we share these sometimes gory details with others. I believe it's important to consider what the other person is looking for by telling their story and let that inform how we respond and how we stop them from making us faint. I can't speak for others, but I can speak about my own experience and motivations for sharing. Here's one example. Earlier this summer, I found myself at a fundraiser talking with a woman that I had literally just met like two minutes before. I don't even think we had exchanged names until the conversation was ending. And I found myself telling her about my recent carpal tunnel surgery. It came up because she had mentioned that her husband was on the board of a local hospital. And I said, oh, I just had an outpatient surgery at that hospital. Because it was a fairly benign and routine procedure, I volunteered that the surgery was on my wrist. We talked a bit about it, and she shared her experience with carpal tunnel. And I should add, another person then joined in the conversation and shared her story as well. And in the course of all of this, I shared that I also had early onset arthritis in my thumb, which led to her making a recommendation of magnesium oil to help ease the pain. <laughs> in this case, there seemed to be a mutual interest in sharing our medical experiences, and neither of us went into much detail. Upon reflection, I decided to share something personal with a stranger because I sensed from her body language and questions that she was open to it. And there was a common thread with the hospital connection. And once I learned that she had had the same surgery, I knew that she could empathize with my pain. It was our own medical me too moment. My motivations were to have someone to commiserate with, plus maybe a little bit of, hey, I let someone put me under, cut me open, and I survived. I'm tough. I'm strong. Look at my scar. Yeah, well, you know, admittedly, maybe that last part is gross, um, but it was just a little incision on my wrist. But anyway, I felt acknowledged for my bravery and less alone in my suffering after I shared that with her. That was my payoff. When someone is telling you the down and dirty of their various ailments, remember that they mostly want to be seen and heard, and maybe have a little bit of sympathy offered their way. They might not have anyone else who will listen. They might feel their pain is isolating them, and the way they feel most comfortable connecting with you is to tell you about what's happening. Even if it feels challenging, try to listen for a few minutes. Listen to and tune into the emotion that they're projecting less than the actual words. And unless you want to encourage more sharing, refrain from asking questions. When it seems appropriate, you can say in a slightly joking manner, oh gosh, I don't know how you can handle that. I feel a little queasy just listening to you. Anyone who's paying attention would take that as a cue to stop giving details. If they keep going, you can lightly say again, no, I'm serious. My stomach is flipping. I think I need to lie down. The half-joking, half-serious nature of your statement should send a strong enough message. If it doesn't, you can always say, again at an appropriate point in the conversation, That sounds pretty intense. I'm sorry you're going through that. I hope you recover soon. 
If you're a thoughts and prayers person, you can say, I'll definitely keep you in my prayers. At the very least, saying that will probably guide the person to wrapping up their descriptions or moving towards the part where they talk about recovery, which I hope is less stomach flipping inducing. (laughs) And this might be a more advanced tactic, but consider if there's a way to hook into something that they're saying and use it as a transition moment. If they talk about going to the hospital, you can interject with, last time I was at the hospital was when I was five. I had fallen off the swing and broken my nose. It's still crooked. Of course, share a story that's your own. I just made that one up. (laughs) The point is to relate something that they said back to something that happened to you and hope that helps the conversation to switch tracks. Normally, we don't want to make someone else's story about us. But in this case, if you need a way out of the conversation, it's okay to introduce a bright, shiny object to shift the storyline. My guess is that you are a compassionate person if people feel inclined to tell you about their medical troubles. That means you can safely assume that whatever strategy you try, it will still come across as caring, even if you feel like you're being direct or uncaring. Just remember to breathe. Find a way to interject with an ugh, I'm going to faint remark. And if they don't get the hint, try to either put a period on the discussion by saying, I hope you feel better soon, or by redirecting the focus to something that's happened to you and you don't mind sharing. The details of what they're sharing aren't the most important thing. They are sharing their condition in order to connect and break feelings of isolation. If you can keep that in mind, it might be easier to listen without letting the icky stuff get under your skin. Well, that's all we have time for in this episode. As we come to a close, here's a call to action for you. The common thread between my responses to these three questions is to look for opportunities to acknowledge and show gratitude or appreciation. Most of the time, you can assume good intent on the part of the other person. They want to help. They want to connect. They want to affirm you. Keep that in mind as you craft your response. Acknowledge that intent with a sincere word of gratitude or appreciation and connect that with a statement of what you need. Let them know you see and hear them first. That will make whatever you say next a lot easier for that person to receive. If you have a how can I say this question to submit for a future episode, there are two different ways you can do it. You can use the online submission form at howcanisaythis.com or you can leave a voicemail 24-7 at 562-704-6643. And here's that number again, 562-704-6643. And no worries if you don't have a way to write that down. The number is listed on the same page as the online submission form. And no matter how you submit your question, whether you leave a voicemail or you use the form, You can use your name or you have the choice to be completely anonymous if you like. Feel free to ask about a generic situation or get more specific. Either way, we would love to hear from you. Join us for our next episode when I welcome conflict coach Cindy Noble as my guest. We have a really enjoyable and rich, informative conversation about what constitutes healthy and unhealthy conflict, as well as answer a listener question about dealing with passive aggressive behavior. And if you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your family, friends and colleagues. I also invite you to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and to take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. 
Subscribers and reviews help boost the visibility of the podcast so more people can find us. More people listening means more healthy conversations. I appreciate whatever you choose to do to help spread the word. This is Beth Below, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thanks for joining me today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. Thank you.